Welcome to this edition of the Peace and Power podcast, where we rediscover the life of peace and power envisioned in God's Word. Somewhere deep within, each of us desires an inner flow of peace and power that transforms our daily attitudes, relationships, and life decisions. So we now turn to God's message, the Bible, as it teaches us to live in that flow of spirit peace and spirit power. It may be helpful for you to follow the outline of each talk, which is available in the show notes, and you will find the full transcript on our website, peaceandpowerpodcast.com. That's peaceandpowerpodcast.com. Here is Dr. Jim Coleman with today's Bible Talk. Why do we call some things beautiful? It's a strong word. It doesn't refer to something just attention-getting or interesting or cute or attractive, even pretty, but beautiful. What makes something beautiful to you? Philosophers have tried to define beauty but have never quite mastered it with logic. Poets have tried to capture beauty with words, but they leave so much unsaid. Scientists have studied beauty. They say it has to do with the symmetry of features and sometimes the flow of movement, but they admit it can be culturally attuned. So what is beautiful in one culture may not be considered beautiful in another. Most of us sense beauty in nature. Uh, Tammy and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary by going somewhere we'd never been, to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Our first day, we went hiking at Seven Falls, which is a series of seven waterfalls cascading from a 1,250-foot face of pink granite. This pink granite also contains crystals, so it sparkles in the sunlight. I'm not sure I can exactly explain what made that beautiful to me. A part of beauty comes through the experience. You just have to be there. But evidently, a rock is not beautiful to everyone. So could it be that it might be surprisingly beautiful to someone who opened themselves to its beauty? Have you ever used this word, beautiful, for God? Well, the psalmist who wrote Psalm 96 can think of no better word when he describes the holiness of God than beautiful. Let's read the whole psalm, then see why the psalmist considers God's holiness so beautiful. Because the goal of our Christian discipleship is that we become holy, which must mean that in some way we become more spiritually beautiful. Listen to Psalm 96. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Each day proclaim the good news that He saves. Publish His glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things He does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround Him, strength and Beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord 
in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. The King James Version so powerfully says in verse 9a, the key verse, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now holy, of course, means set apart for a special purpose, uncommon. And the psalmist gives specifics here, mentioning three main aspects of God's beauty. The Lord performs beautiful actions. The Lord is a beautiful person and presence. And the Lord has a beautiful reign. Well, first, what makes God's actions beautiful? Here we're told to sing a new song in verse 1. A new song to the Lord. Now that suggests there is something new that God has done, which God deserves praise for. I said a moment ago that Tammy and I decided that to celebrate our 25 years of marriage, we would go somewhere new and do something different. Do you know that God is always at work in this world doing new and beautiful things? In fact, the psalmist says that God is at work all over the world with universal actions. Each year there is a list of new species that are discovered on earth. Maybe you've heard of that list. But I wonder sometimes when I do hear of the new list, is that something that has been alive a long time, an ecologist or geologist discovering its existence? Or did God create that creature three months ago? Maybe. God always does new and relevant things. We read here that God continually performs rescuing actions. It's salvation in verse 2. Salvation is to rescue. Someone today, in fact, who is addicted will be dramatically healed by God and will experience a freeing power she has never experienced before. God has performed a new, beautiful act by rescuing her from addiction. So what is our response to new and beautiful things like this? We praise God publicly. In verse 3, the writer of the psalm says, Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. And I think that woman who's been freed by addiction has the responsibility to tell as many people as she can, in her own authentic way, what God has done for her. To publish his glorious deed in her life to as many people as she can. But then we go one step further. God's beautiful deeds inspire us to do beautiful deeds. One of the last scenes in the Bible reveals what it will be like for you and me, the church, to be presented to Jesus as his beautiful bride. Interestingly, in the book of Revelation, it describes that part of the beauty that God sees in us, a beauty that is our good deeds. Those good deeds weren't done to get God's favor or to go to heaven. We can never earn heaven. But because we love Jesus, we do good deeds. 
Look at this description in Revelation 19 and verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. The Lord performs beautiful actions. And then because we are transformed by those actions of salvation, so do we want to perform beautiful actions by faith. Next, the psalmist says what we expect to be said about God's beauty. God is a beautiful person, capital P, not human person, but divine person. And God has a beautiful presence. Doug Whitcraft was someone I knew from childhood, but until recently I'd never heard him tell the story of how he met Susie, who became his wife of four decades. Let me paraphrase as I remember it of what he shared. When I was 11 years old, a new family moved into our community, so my mom baked a batch of cookies as a welcome gift, and I went with her to meet them. I was just standing there as the two mothers talked when suddenly around the corner came the most beautiful creature I had ever seen, a girl about my age. She took my breath away, and she still does. But Susie wasn't just outwardly beautiful in Doug's life. She was inwardly beautiful to him. Not long after Doug gave that description, he was told that he had lung cancer. There were no high-risk health factors in Doug's life, and so this was a surprise diagnosis. And he began praising Susie for her loving presence with him in this difficult journey. The psalmist declares that the Lord is the most beautiful person and beautiful presence in the universe. The word he uses in verse 4 is worthy. It was translated in the version I just read to you as the glory he deserves. Worthy means weighty, significant, of supreme importance. So God's supreme importance is beautiful. And there's no God like him, it says in the latter part of verse 4 and through verse 5. So God has a beautiful uniqueness. God is a -a one-of-a-kind beautiful. How fascinating that the psalmist gives this description at the beginning of verse 6. Honor and majesty surround him. The Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, means splendor and majesty are before his face. Now, God does not have a body, so God does not have a physical face. But spiritually, when you come face to face with the Lord, he is splendorously beautiful with majesty. You'll remember that at Jesus' transfiguration, when the disciples were allowed to see Jesus' glory, that his face shone like the sun, Matthew 17, verse 2. The former chair of the communications department at Asbury University, my friend Don Simpson, had a massive heart attack a few years ago, and he was pronounced legally dead. But he was revived, and he recovered. And a few months afterward, I visited him. I asked him about his experience, and he said, Jim, I know what I'm telling you is hard to believe, but when I was dead, I entered a corridor. I was at perfect peace. And at some point, I sensed a presence, and I looked to what seemed my left. It also seemed that Don was struggling, as people often do, to put into words an experience. But he looked to his left, and there, he said, stood Jesus. 
I asked him in a whisper, and what did he look like, Don? I'll never forget his answer. He slowly shook his head. Tears filled his eyes, and he said, He was beautiful. You know, our father and his son are beautiful in their personhood and beautiful in their presence. And finally, the psalmist describes the Lord's beautiful reign, the reign as king of the universe in verses 7 through 13. First, he encourages all people to worship God's kingly strength and beauty. This worship begins by recognizing God's reign. One thing our spiritual enemy, Satan, refuses to do is to recognize God's reign. Satan wants that job as the king of the universe. But isn't it true that you and I have done the same thing by insisting that we know how to run our little universe, our lives, better than God does, rather than recognizing God's reign and submitting our lives to that king? You know, ancient vassal kings would unwillingly offer tribute to the strongest king in their region. We call that high taxes. (laughs) But you and I willingly offer ourselves sacrificially to God, our King. Verse 9 is the key verse of this entire psalm. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Or in the beauty of the King James Version, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It's really not unusual at all that a part of beauty is strength. That when we see strength, there's something about it that is beautiful. This idea started back in verse 6. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. But it carries through in these verses 9 and 10, where it describes that God's reign on earth stands firm and cannot be shaken. Now read world history. All nations are at some point shaken. And all nations eventually, at some point, have crumbled. But not God's future reign. It is a beautifully strong, unshakable kingdom. It will also be a reign of justice. Justice is when wrong is punished and right prevails. Justice is when wrong is punished and right prevails. I'm not quite sure why many people think of God's judgment as fearful and overbearing. Instead of simply fair. The psalmist says here that God's justice is hoped for. It is joyful. At the end of this psalm, the heavens and the sea and the forest and the fields are all shouting and singing because the Lord's reign of justice is coming. Wrongs will be righted and right will prevail. So, if God's holiness is beautiful, what does that mean for you and for me? What does it mean for those of us following Jesus and growing in holiness? After all, in both the Old and New Testaments, God's people are called to be holy because their God is holy. Leviticus 11, 44 and 45. And then Peter mentions that in 1 Peter 1, 16. It means that holiness is opposite of what the world tells me about it. The popular sentiment, even the popular sort of threat, is that holiness is ugly To be holy is restrictive. To be holy is unjoyful. To be holy is boring. To be holy is always to be a no person. To be holy is to be narrow-minded. To be holy is to be judgmental of others. To be holy is to be a hypocrite. What an ugly list. If holiness is those things, who wants to be holy? 
But none of that describes true holiness. Holiness is full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Holiness is not really restrictive. Instead, it refuses to get bruised and broken by sin's lies. It leads the most abundant life. You know, it's sad, but the world's values have it all backwards. It is sin that is ugly. It is holiness that is beautiful. Maybe you remember the TV show, The Munsters, or you've watched its reruns. And you know that the whole family looks scary. Everyone who met them was startled by their appearance. Herman looked like Frankenstein. His wife, Lily, was ghoulish. Their son, Eddie, looked like a werewolf. Grandpa looked like Count Dracula. The daughter, though, Marilyn, was not only normal, but she was beautiful. But everyone in the family thought she was homely. They thought she was ugly. (laughs) Their standard of beauty was themselves, and she didn't fit that standard. Of course, this was humorous to viewers of the show because they knew it was the other way around. The entire family was scary except for her, and she was beautiful. And isn't it true that this fallen world thinks ugly is beautiful and beautiful is ugly? But we Christ followers have the opportunity to display the truth, the beauty of holiness. You know, the beauty industry profits each year in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And in one sense, that's fine. We should all look as good as we can without becoming vain. (laughs) But what if, what if we took our spiritual beauty as seriously as our physical attractiveness. Oh, that we would desire the beauty of holiness. Thank you for listening to the Peace and Power podcast. And we invite you to subscribe to hear the next upcoming Bible talk. Again, our website is peaceandpowerpodcast.com. And our prayer is that God's word has brought you a greater sense of a supernatural flow of God's peace and power in your life.